Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Austerity Pleasures Podcast, Episode 4. It's the political and topical comedy show that some people are referring to as uh, something to listen to while the bugle is offline. My name is Ben Morgan, and first of all, I'd like to start with an apology. If you're a regular listener, sorry for the eight-week gap between Episode 3 and this one. Loads of things have happened. Obviously, Christmas and New Year, we all get an enforced two weeks off in that period of time. But I had to wait an extra three weeks afterwards for this rather expensive and high-definition microphone to be delivered to my house. So now you lucky, lucky people get to hear my boring, boring voice in HD. Yay! Now, this episode of Austerity Pledges is 60 minutes long, approximately, rather than the usual 30 minutes long. And that is mainly to say sorry for the massive wait. Uh, we've got some amazing comedians coming up in this show, some great contributions. We've got live stand-up from Don Biswas, a previous headliner at live gigs that we put on, and Ashley Hayden. We've been promising highlights packages of those for many, many months. We're finally going to deliver in this episode. We've got live stand-up comedy from Nathan Wilcock, who was featured in our first episode. He's back now with some uh, topical material. We've got the regular contributor to the show, Magnus Turner MP. Yes, a real-life MP. He's wise, he's hilarious, he's well worth listening to. He's, He's looking forward to 2016 in his little package he'll be delivering later on. We've got contributions from top comedians like Lenny Sherman, Francis Foster and uh, James Mason. But I like to label this episode of the Austerity Pleasures podcast as <clears throat> the very, very best of social media. Because uh, we've got a guy called Chris Purchase coming up who um, recently went viral. Uh, I think it's 36,000 people liked a rant he did about the junior doctors. That particular rant is coming up later. Also, uh, as we're talking about social media, we have the very, very best of Twitter. The five most funniest satirical accounts of the last year or so. Uh, Highlights of all of their jokes are coming up over the course of this episode. In no particular order, we have UKIP weather, which is based upon the UKIP counsellor a few years ago who said that uh, gay marriage may cause floods. And that ridiculous statement is all it took for some very clever guys to open up an uh, open up an account taking a piss out of those theories for example uh, weather forecasts based upon the activities of non-straight people do you follow i think you do Uh, tory comedians we've got highlights of that account too that's basically an account which is very bernard manning-esque but all of the punchlines are based around the horrible policies that the tories come out with We've also got Corbyn jokes. Now, the premise of this account is Jeremy Corbyn hasn't heard or told a joke since 1964, but bless him, he's trying his hand at stand-up comedy now. Unfortunately, all the punchlines to his jokes are as left-wing and as strange as the man himself. It's great anti-comedy and it's well worth listening to. Uh, We've got British First, which is a piss take of Britain First, the far-right bigoted group who um, have real trouble articulating exactly why they're angry. All of their online messages are misspelt and the grammar is all over the place. They're ripe for mocking, and uh, British First does that so very, very perfectly. But we're going to begin with the sexiest of all five of those accounts. It's called Fifty Shades of Tory, and you do not need me to explain what that's about. So, ladies and gentlemen, I advise you to take off all your clothes, lie back, open your legs, and enjoy Fifty Shades of Tory. I want you to talk to me like I'm dirt, like I'm nothing, she urged. Have you considered a career in teaching? Michael Gove replied. Tell me that you want it. Tell me how much you need it. Ian Duncan Smith was thoroughly enjoying his visit to the food bank. You look sexy as hell, and I want you inside me right now, whispered Eric Pickles to the dessert trolley. He probed around her bush, and she moaned as he went deeper. Sorry, love, we can frack in your garden whether you like it or not. He smiled.
Recently, the Sun newspaper uh, tried to smear junior doctors by claiming that many of them uh, enjoy lavish lifestyles, uh, like going out for, quote, swanky meals. And some of them are even pictured on social media on a beach in front of a helicopter with a champagne glass. Uh, of course, this means that all junior doctors uh, are just striking because of the money. That's the assumption there. Not because their already uh, antisocial work hours are going to become even more antisocial. And you would have thought if you're working that much, you probably don't have a lot of time uh, to spend any of the money that you're accumulating. And maybe once a year, you have the right to maybe go on a nice uh, sunny holiday and maybe stand near a helicopter. Social media hit back in a very, very good way. Instead of just shouting at feminists and swearing, Twitter became very satirical for a day. Um, and junior doctors started posting examples of their lavish lifestyle. Uh, there's a picture of a TARDIS and the caption reads, for decades, some doctors have been getting free travel around the entire universe. This has to stop, hashtag smear the docs. Uh, someone's bought some uh, Waitrose nappies and the caption reads, Junior Doctor buys nappies from Waitrose instead of making own from newspaper in abundant spare time. Uh, there's a guy sitting on a bench in, I believe, London. Miserable day. Um, he's eating some sandwiches out of a Tupperware box and it says, Junior Doctor spotted on extravagant day off. A guy buying uh, softest toilet paper from the supermarket. The caption reads, extravagant medical student chooses softest toilet roll for his pampered ass cheeks. One of my favourites is a picture of a stepladder and the caption reads, splashed out on a new legal high, OMFG. A guy has a crown from a Christmas cracker on his head and the caption reads, junior doctor has second job as a king. Social media responded in such a perfect way. Uh, so did comedian Chris Purchase, who um, wrote a rant on Facebook and it went viral. Here he is with his thoughts about the junior doctor strike. Important things in this country, they are the lifeblood. Uh, there are so many, I've got scars all over my body, I've got two kids because of the NHS. The junior doctors went on strike last week, and I think they fucking should, because anyone who works in the NHS should be given anything they need, anything at all. Every single member of the NHS should get a fucking helicopter and fly to work every day. If I look up in the sky and there's just, I'll be like, yes, definitely! Because I want to know that when they go to work, they are excited about going to work. I want every single member of the NHS skipping into the hospitals. Yay! This is going to be amazing! I'm looking for a fun time! Because when someone has their hands in my chest, up to their elbows, I don't want them to be thinking, Oh God, this is the third day straight, I couldn't wait, I miss my children, I'm so sad. I hope this guy doesn't die like the last one. <laughs> I wanted to be going, oh good, if I get this right, I get another helicopter so I can fly back in a different coloured helicopter. <laughs> That's what I want. And I want the money to come directly out of the MP's moats fund. Yes. <laughs> Comedian Chris Purchase there with his thoughts on the junior doctor strike. Now, earlier on, I said that got 35,000 likes. I was wrong. I didn't look properly. That actually got 63,000 likes. 32,000 shares and because the likes and the shares put that status on everybody's timeline it got a reach of four and a half million people wow uh, chris purchase is an amazing comedian he's going to be appearing at the very next austerity pleasures live gig in brighton on friday the 5th of february uh, the tickets are only three pounds in advance for that show because the it is called austerity pleasures after all um now Chris is going to be previewing his new Leicester Comedy Festival show, um, which hopefully will turn into an Edinburgh show by the by August time. So um, for three pounds, not only do you get opening act uh, James Ross, who runs the Quantum Leopard Comedy Club in London, considered by many to be the best comedy club in the capital. We've got the middle section with our resident comedian Dan Wright and the BBC's Declan Kennedy. And then we've got Chris Purchase coming on doing 40, 50, maybe even 60 minutes of a preview of his new show, and all of that for three pounds in advance. If you want to buy tickets to this event, then go on to the Austerity Pleasures Facebook page, find the event, click going, and then just click on the ticket link. It's as simple as that. Uh, tickets on the door are seven quid, so please do get your cheap tickets in advance. And someone who's appeared at previous gigs we've done is Magnus Turner, who's a, a member of parliament. Uh, we'd like to get the opinion of someone wise, someone uh, well-educated, someone who actually does have a lavish lifestyle. And here he is on his predictions and thoughts for 2016. 
Hello, this is Magnus Turner, MP, wishing you a very happy 2016. I'm sorry I couldn't be with you in person this time. My wife rather suddenly decided we should go cruising after Christmas. And by the wonders of technology, that's where I'm speaking to you from now, aboard our cruiser. We don't use it very often, and it seemed wasteful to continue paying the staff for sitting in dry dock, so we decided to uh, <laughs> splash out <laughs> one last time before taking the hard decision to lay them off when we get back. We're currently docked in a very pleasant marina in Miami, where we met up recently with our dear friend Donald Trump. Now, I was going to take him for a curry after his Pensacola rally, but it turned out every Indian restaurant in Florida was fully booked that evening, as were the Mexican restaurants. And African, Cuban, Chinese, restaurants employing women, disabled people. So, instead, he treated us to a banquet at one of his own hotels, which was extremely generous of him. Uh, he did make one member of the serving staff cry, but he was awfully good about it. He insisted she take some time to pull herself together before invoicing her for the distress her tears had caused. But a new year has dawned, has it not? And glorious Floridian sunshine aside, we might be forgiven for saying it hasn't got off to an encouraging start. There have been more mass murders by terror groups, um, only in Africa, fortunately. Back home, I understand some of you are suffering high winds, ice and snow, flooding, transport and medical strikes, which must be awful for you. I'll certainly come and have a look for myself when I get back. I didn't buy those welly boots for nothing. <laughs> We've also lost some of our finest cultural icons recently. My wife was very moved just after Christmas by the death of Lemmy from Motorhome. We'd actually met while dancing to Vibrator from their first album. She says it always reminds her of me. <laughs> you may know the lyric, straight and true and all for you. I'm so eager to please. Stick with me, I'll keep you free from any nasty disease. Words we'd do well to live by. For myself, though, I was more saddened, I think, by the loss of David uh, Bowie, Bowie, whatever. Um, I think the finest tribute, you know, came from Mr. Cameron who can always be relied on in times of national grief to identify the key points of other people's tributes and come up with appropriate copy. Very shortly after the announcement, he told us he remembered someone playing the Pin-Ups album when he was at school, and he'd loved all the tracks equally, without naming any of them, even though I'm sure he could. Personally, I just thought David was a tremendous musician, artist, and actor, let's not forget that. He may have departed this world, but we will always be able to cherish his much-loved appearances in the Harry Potter films. All in all, then, just a few weeks in, it looks like being a busy year. And as we look ahead, what will it hold? Will Mr Cameron call the European referendum this year? Will Mr Corbyn continue to enjoy the same level of support from his shadow cabinet after his honeymoon period? Will Mr Farron... Actually, you don't know who he is, do you? Um, uh, no, it takes too long to explain. Never mind. Whatever the world holds in store, please be assured I'll be on hand to explain it to you, very simply indeed, in ways even you can understand. Now more than ever, I urge you to get in touch if you have any matters you'd like to hear me discuss on future episodes of this marvellous podcast. My email address is the MTMP. That's the MTMP, Magnus Turner MP, you see. The MTMP at gmail.com. I'll look forward to hearing from you. But just a few words before I go about politicians' expenses. This is, without doubt, the single issue which is thrown at me most often. I've been heckled about it during speeches, on aeroplanes, when I've happened to leave first class, even in the street. Oh, you're only in it for the expenses, they say, or you don't deserve it. Hurtful and untrue comments like that. Which is why I bought myself an iPod recently, just to get away from the constant aggression. I say I bought it, it was a necessary professional purchase. And I do understand the fury about the most extreme examples uncovered by the Telegraph five years ago. There really is no excuse for an MP charging the taxpayer to have his moat cleaned. When it only takes one call to arrange for a team of community service offenders to come round and do it for you. But the scandal, ladies and gentlemen, is over. 
You may have seen the recently released data from the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, which shows that a claim last year for a two-pound box of tea bags and a 49p bottle of milk was refused, and quite rightly so. Geoffrey Cox, Tory MP for Torridge, should hang his head in shame for such a blatant example of Tory greed. Why he couldn't do what Labour's Meg Hillier did is beyond me. If being reimbursed £99 for a coffee maker is good enough for her, it should be good enough for him. Stephen Kinnock, son of Neil, managed to get two coffee makers for the same price. Uh, that's in Wales, of course. And a milk frother for only £35 more, which I'm sure you'll agree is more fiscally prudent in the long run. The public purse is not a bottomless pit. Mr Osborne used his first speech of the year to warn us that the world in 2016 is facing a cocktail of economic threats. Um, actually I might talk about that next time. I rather fancy a cocktail. This is Magnus Turner, MP. Cheerio. Magnus Turner, MP there. Remember you can send him an email and he will answer any question that you ask him in future episodes. And if you want to see even more Magnus Turner MP, if you want to watch him do stand-up at a recent gig that we put on, go to the Austerity Pleasures YouTube channel. And not only can you see Nathan Wilcock, who I mentioned earlier, but you get to see the full 16-17 minute set from Magnus Turner. And I'm not just saying this because it's on my channel, but I honestly think it's some of the best stand-up I've ever seen in my life. And I don't want to get too licky here, but it's really, really very funny. Go to Austerity Pleasures YouTube channel, find Magnus Turner, and piss yourself laughing, basically. Let's go over to another set of comedians. It's our second roundup of the very best of Twitter. This time, we're going to look at the account Tory Comedians. Take it away, guys. A man on disability living allowance walks into a bar. I reported him immediately, and his benefits were stopped. A Scotsman, a Muslim, and Jeremy Corbyn walk into a bar. Is that what you want for the future of your children? <laughs> I asked for some Tory stationery. The shop assistant said... What's Tory stationery? I said, dividers and rulers. <laughs> I forgot my football team and left my daughter in a pub. But I'll always remember my son. During NHS debates. <laughs> I beat the kids at Monopoly earlier. I was the banker, so I just took all their cash and paid myself a huge bonus. <laughs> a terminally ill friend of mine asked if I'd assist her in dying. So I sent her for a work capability assessment. <laughs> <laughs> Always been a always been a political geek. Sort of always like when I was when I was like a teenager, I would sort of know the names of all my local councillors and sort of the names of the shadow cabinet. I'd stay up watching uh, you know Parliament selectry, the select committees on on uh, BBC Parliament, and it's partly for this reason uh, why I um uh, I, I I didn't didn't have a girlfriend for the first eighteen years of my life. Seriously, like I, I was like in my adolescence, it was terrible. Sort of, sort of the girls I kissed at school were sort of a lot like Liberal Democrat MPs um, uh, in the fact that there weren't many of them and they all betrayed me. <laughs> 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 well, they, I mean, you know, they, they betrayed me in the pigeon and they were sort of, in the sense, they kissed me once and then, and then never again. And the, uh, the girls, not, not the Liberal Democrat MPs, no also necking Tim Farron behind the bin. <laughs> uh, mainly because he's a Christian and then he refused to uh, answer whether or not he thought homosexuality was a sin. So, you know, there's no point in me uh, wasting my time on first base if there's no chance I get into fourth, is there? <laughs> you just heard another dose of the best of social media with Tory comedians and that was followed by Nathan Wilcock recorded live at a gig we put on in London at the start of December. Now, you can see more of Nathan Wilcock on our Austerity Pleasures YouTube channel. You can either see a full set that he did for us in September, or you can see more from the set in December, which is very visual, therefore not very suitable for a podcast, on the Austerity Pleasures YouTube channel. Also, Nathan is premiering his latest hour-long show at the Leicester Comedy Festival on the 10th of February, at 9.20 at Manhattan 34, that's the name of the venue, and his show is called State of the Nathan, which is a brilliant pun. He's a great comedian, so if you're in the Leicester area, go along and see it, uh, not just because it's absolutely free as well. Have you ever typed things Donald Trump has said into Google? 
if you do, you get many, many, many results. Uh, a variety list come up, ranging from uh, 18 things that Donald Trump has 100% actually said. Notice the poor use of English and grammar in that headline. Can you guess where this list resides? If you thought BuzzFeed, you are correct. And uh, by the way, that article will totally blow your mind, especially the third example or whatever these clickbait sites say to get you in. Also, there's 32 things of the worst things Trump has ever said or eight of the sleaziest things Trump has said. And here's my favourite, uh, almost as bad as the BuzzFeed uh, headline. The 199 most Donald Trump things Donald Trump has ever said. Uh, my favourite quote that Donald Trump has ever said is referring to the Monica Lewinsky scandal and it's uh, his attempt to uh, blacken the name of Hillary Clinton as well. Uh, when he said, if Hillary Clinton cannot satisfy her husband, what makes her think she can satisfy America? That was a tweet that he sent once, which was instantly deleted, which does make you think that maybe he has some people behind him saying, actually, Donald, that's a little bit too far. Uh, they don't really get involved much, but they did in this uh, instance. However, because he's got millions of followers, that tweet was instantly screenshotted by thousands of people and it's still out there today. But perhaps the worst thing Donald Trump has ever said came out last month when he said, and he used the third person in this sentence, which is a clear sign of insanity if you weren't if the warning signs weren't there already, he said, and I quote, Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until the authorities can work out what the heck is going on. Prejudiced, xenophobic, arguably racist, very misguided, poorly judged, very, very, very wrong. And it is gold for headline writers, rubberneckers and satirists, although as far as the satirist goes, he does a lot of the work for us because uh, it's very, very hard to top the insanity that comes out of his mouth. Mr. Donald J. Trump, uh, I think we should probably throw a few statistics your way. I've, uh, like yourself, done very little research, but I reckon Islamic extremists make up less than 0.0000000000000001% of all Muslims. It's a number so small that not even Ant-Man can see it. So obviously, the best thing to do in this situation is not let any Muslims travel legally to America, just in case. Luckily, the odds of this becoming law are smaller than the chances of, I don't know, Jose Mourinho blaming himself for once, uh, or smaller than the rights a Muslim would receive under a Donald Trump leadership, for example. It's a ridiculous statement, isn't it? Which um, might as well have been followed by the cry of, and we should send all the Muslims who are already living here in America all the way back to Islam. Mr. Mr. Trump, um, Islam isn't a country, uh, but he didn't say that, but he's bound to say something like that eventually, isn't he? I can't wait because he's basically in Britain. We have our version of Donald Trump. Luckily, he has no power, but he is uh, he's pretty much the most racist man in the country. And we absolutely love hearing him say disgraceful things. His name is Prince Philip. He's married to the Queen. We cannot wait to hear him say something prejudiced, racist, anything like that. And we let him off. We let him off every single time because he is fucked in the head. You know, he's, he's mental. He's like an old uncle or granddad saying something Muslim. And then you get all partridge about it. You say, oh, you daft racist. And you just sort of fob it off. In many situations, people who's being racist too absolutely love it because it's so cartoonish what he says. I'll give you an example. There's a UK pop band from one of the uh, X Factors or whatever. Broken Britain's Got Talent, maybe. And they're called Diversity. OK, can any clues there in the name of what the makeup of the group is like? Uh, and they met the Queen and Prince Philip a few years ago. And Prince Philip, when he, he asked the entire 11 members of this ethnically diverse band, quote, are you all members of the same family? Which was probably followed up with, did you all come over on the same boat? He didn't say that, but like Donald Trump, you wouldn't put it past him. America, you have got Prince Philip, but worryingly, he could wave that finger over the nuclear button, which doesn't make it funny anymore, you know? All Mexicans are rapists, he once said, but it was the Muslim, the Muslim comment that really got people um, angry about him, which led to the inevitable online outrage, followed by the inevitable online petition. And unlike every single online petition that's ever existed, this one was justified because it's very, very instance of a useful and well thought out petition. And it was very funny as well. The petition called for Donald Trump to be banned from entering the UK. <laughs> 
Now, uh, a slightly serious point. Donald Trump's views of Muslims was uh, witnessed firsthand by British journalist Laurie Penny, who managed to infiltrate a speech he was giving in South Carolina. In fact, it was that speech where he said the things about Muslims. I implore everyone to read the article as it gives a very clear picture of Trump. She says things like he never speaks in full sentences. He never finishes what he's saying. We all know he's not very good at writing English, but he can't actually speak English, uh, which is a bit weird for a possible future president. And she says uh, he sells fascism but with a cartoon face, which is spot on. It gives a very clear picture of his fa uh, fanatic followers, too, who at times at previous rallies have attacked black attendees because they are black. It's both mesmerizing and depressing, this read. Go to the New Statesman and uh, the article is called There's Nothing Funny About Donald Trump Rally. But wouldn't it be hilarious if Donald Trump was elected president? Say a few of you. Uh, that would be so funny. Um, We've got a leader in the UK called Boris Johnson. He's a conservative mayor of London. OK, he's been that he's been in that position for quite a few years. And he was elected as mayor on the basis that people thought it would be funny to elect him. Why? Because like Donald Trump, he can't really speak in full sentences without stumbling all over his words. Now, the reason he's, he can't speak properly is if, imagine imagine Hugh Grant. I want to say, imagine Hugh Grant had a mentally disabled brother and that would be Boris Johnson, but that's not politically correct. So I cannot say that. Boris Johnson is so posh, he cannot speak properly. OK, so Boris Johnson reminds me of a really well-educated Tasmanian devil. OK, because Boris Johnson sounds like this. <laughs> and the Tasmanian devil sounds like this. Anyway, despite being mayor of the one of the biggest capital cities in the world, no one takes him seriously. There's a chance he could become prime minister if George Osborne, I don't know, goes on a very long holiday. Let's put it that way. But there's one key difference between the two people. Boris Johnson doesn't really have a problem with the Muslims. Um, he quite likes them, actually. So while I am dismissing Boris Johnson, maybe Trump could learn a little something from Boris. Now... From Donald Trump to another group of racists. It's the uh, latest Twitter roundup. Uh, now we're going to look at the account of British First, which takes the piss out of Britain First, the far right bigoted party. I hope you're all wearing your England shirts, guys, because here they come. British First. Camping against the Islamification of the UK, the Kerrang and the building of super mollusks. Standing up for Brian. Shame on Jeremy Corbyn for supporting balsamic militants like Hummus, Al Murray and Hakuna Matata. Should astronaut Tim Peake be allowed back to Britain after joining ISS? Should the UK bomb Serie A? Did you see the Sun headline about Muslims yesterday? It just goes to show there's a Jumanji John in every street. ISIS are pouring into Europe posing as referees. Deport all ill eagles. Our country, our laws. Some areas of the UK are now operating under Shania Twain. another twitter roundup this time from british first follow them on twitter also at the end of the show we'll be giving you the names of the authors of these jokes so that you can follow them individually on twitter as well so stay tuned now from twitter to some live stand-up comedy we're going to have some selected highlights from two comedians first of all ashley hayden who's also on twitter and don biswas again on twitter too uh, this is recorded at a gig at the latter stages of 2015 in brighton Probably one of the best gigs we've ever done. It was so much fun. Um, enjoy a little bit from them. I will start off because I do a lot of dark stuff and I, I, I'm, I'm a believer that everyone's a cunt and everyone lies. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. I think I could be right. You know? <laughs> but I, but no, the election, I remember going to sleep on the Thursday <coughs> with it all being quite close. <coughs> waking up on the Friday with a uh, Tory, Tory government. 
Like going to sleep on Christmas Eve, waking up, finding out that Santa's shatting his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. I voted for the green party. I didn't want my vote to count. <laughs> I've got a lot of time for the green party. I just wish once, just once, their manifesto didn't read like it was written by a 19-year-old girl who's gone back from a gap year and wants to be known as Women Flower. <laughs> we all know those people, don't we? Oh, I, I, I have seen such poverty. I can't even explain it. Luckily, I took some photos on my iPhone. <laughs> Everyone is happy with Corbyn, and Corbyn's fantastic. Corbyn is brilliant, and I will not say he isn't. But his cabinet, fuck no. <laughs> Have you seen who he selected for the shadow fucking farming? It's a vegan for farming. A vegan. Are you serious? That's like putting Jeremy Hunt in charge of the health. <laughs> <laughs> Although Jeremy Hunt and Corbyn do have something in common, they both believe in homeopathy. And if there is anyone in here who does believe in homeopathy... <laughs> well done. Yeah. And I'll be outside after the show selling magic beans. Don't come and do that. You know, the NHS, we spend four million a year on homeopathy. Four million a year on shit that does not work. We don't have enough beds, but we've got a dream catcher for every one of them. <laughs> I think if you believe in homeopathy and you go to the doctors, all you should be allowed to do is lick the condensation off the windows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start talking about the refugee crisis because I get it, I really do. Because during the 1970s, my dad moved to England to flee persecution from India. Unfortunately, my mum managed to track him down. <laughs> Before I go into the politics, I should explain myself. My name's Don, I've got a learning difficulty called dyspraxia. Some of you might know about it. Got the dyspraxic fan club over there. <laughs> if you don't know what it is, it's a learning difficulty which, among other things, affects my organisation skills. Therefore, I have a tendency to lose things all the time. Number two, also true about me, as a member of the Asian community living in this country, I'm twice as likely to get stopped and searched by the police. But relax, I can turn these two negatives into two positives. Because next time I get frisked by a police officer, officer number one, they'll find out I'm not a terrorist. And number two, I'll find out where the fuck my keys have been. <laughs> <laughs> one clap. Dyspraxia also affects my social skills. I have a habit of saying the wrong things at the wrong time. That's why I'm going to talk about the Nazis. Because <laughs> I don't give a shit. This could be my last gig, so um, here we go. The Nazis. Right, here we go. Do you think if Hitler was alive today that he could challenge Churchill to cheaper car insurance? <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it does affect my social skills in the way I have a habit of taking things too literally. For example, last week I was caught masturbating at the airport. To which the security guard came up to me, no word of a lie, said, what do you think you're doing, fella? To which I replied, I'm making sure I don't carry liquid over 100 mils. <laughs> <laughs> The last piece of information before about the politics is that dyspraxia means I've got coordination difficulties I can't drive a car. I went to my doctor today, told him I had coordination difficulties, as a result, I can't drive a car. It's the only way I could get freedom pass, free travel and public transport in this country. And no word of lie, my doctor said to me, in order to be considered for a freedom pass, you have to have schizophrenia or worse. So I said, fair enough. Can I have two freedom passes then, please? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you got that, Keepo. 
<laughs> so the main reason why I'm here is I, I, I consider myself to be a political comedian. I'm passionate about politics. I'm a big fan of Jeremy Corbyn. Like Jeremy Corbyn, I stand on the left. Fortunately, when he does it, he wins a leadership contest. Unfortunately, when I stand on the left, I just piss off other commuters trying to use London Ground Escalator to do a rush out. <laughs> <laughs> and the annoying thing is, most of the British public readily accept opinions they read about Jeremy Corbyn because they've got no time to think about the issues because they're too busy working. I mean, think about it logically. For most of us, we, for the first 12 to 18 years of our life, we're indoctrinated in education. We just repeat what other people tell us. And for the next 40 years, the reason why we can't do research in Corbyn is because we're too busy working 40 hours a week just so we can buy some pokey little flat in the city. Uh, and we've got kids to look after as well. And we're distracted by X factors, so we've got no time to philosophise about our own fucking existence. <laughs> and just for what? Just so we can get a mediocre pension and then we die. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a lot worse for my Hindu parents because of reincarnation. <laughs> To me when I do a lot of political material. Don, you must be quite clever to talk about politics on stage. No, I don't. I'm a comedian. I've got more time to think than an average person. Not the cleverest person in the world. For example, when I was younger, I failed five times to get into five different grammar schools. And as a result, I lost my job as a locksmith. <laughs> By the way, not true. Relax, not true. The real reason why I lost my job as a locksmith couldn't find my fucking keys. <laughs> so this is why I noticed when I had more time to think. Have you ever noticed, before Jeremy Corbyn got into power, both the main political parties looked exactly the same. They both like fucking kids, they both help their friends in the city, and both don't give a shit about you. They didn't get much choice in the media. Everyone in the media, including The Guardian and Independent, had to go at Corbyn. They've all got the same viewpoints. In fact, you get a wider variety of opinions on my act than you do in mainstream media and politics. At least with me, you get the viewpoint of a British Asian living in London. The outlook of a dyspraxic person and the viewpoint of someone who's slightly autistic. As you probably guessed by now, comedy clubs usually book me just so they can consolidate all the diversity requirements. <laughs> You just heard Don Bizwas, um, before that Ashley Hayden, stand-up recorded for Austerity Pleasures in the latter part of last year. Remember, if you want to hear some great comedians like that on Friday, February the 5th in Brighton, go to the Austerity Pleasures Facebook page and check out the event and buy tickets if you fancy it. Uh, you can watch the entire set from Don Biswas on the Austerity Pleasures YouTube channel as well. So subscribe over there for the best stand-up videos and more coming as well after the gig in February. Now, both Ashley and Don talked quite a lot about uh, Jeremy Corbyn in their sets. So I think it's probably up now to go over to the Corbyn Jokes account uh, in our penultimate roundup of the very, very best satirical accounts on Twitter. So Corbyn Jokes, take it away. Asked my gym trainer if he could teach me the splits. He said, how flexible are you? I said, I've not changed position since 1973. An ISIS apologist, a Holocaust denier, and a 9-11 conspiracy theorist walk into a bar. We must be hospitable and willing to engage with all sides. A horse walked into a bar. The breakdown of capitalism starts with agrarian chaos. I'm not saying I have sympathy for David Cameron, but I too have been ridiculed for being too friendly with Hamas. Knock, knock. Who's there? The interrupting Marxist. The interrupting Marxist revolution! What looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck. Andy Burnham, after being told he needed to be more duck. What would happen if James Bond took Viagra? He would continue to be a state-sponsored terrorist whose actions disgrace us all. A Putinist, a Baathist, a Stalinist and an anti-Semite walked into a bar. The barman said, The Stop the War Christmas party is upstairs.
January was a bitch for high-profile celebrity deaths. We had Edge Tupac Stewart, the DJ, Alan Rickman, the actor. Uh, as Magnus Turner pointed out, Lenny from Motorhome died as well. And in the middle of all that, Mr David Bowie passed away, an absolute legend. January was also tragic for users of social networks who spent most of their time angrily commenting about other people, angrily commenting about a superstar's death. Over on Twitter, the world's friendliest social network, an irritated journalist called Camilla Long, who you may have seen on Have I Got News For You, sitting next to Ian Hislop, was very, very annoyed at the outpouring of grief on Twitter. So annoyed, in fact, that she wrote the following bizarre tweet. Quote, So many people are, quote, crying, or, quote, in tears over David Bowie. And then in capital letters she writes, Fuck you! You aren't ten years old, you're an adult. Mad the fuck up and say something interesting. Whoa, (laughs) that is a little bit extreme, Camilla. You realise David Bowie wasn't just some bloke, he's a superstar. For once, it's acceptable to label someone a legend rather than everybody a legend. He's one of the few originals... He's deserving of an outpouring of emotion. Look at today's chart stars. Will they, any of them, have a legacy like Bowie's in 20, 30, 40, 50 years? No, very few. Will anyone remember any records that Harry Styles has sung on? No. Camilla Long is clearly an idiot. Who put her in charge of the grief police? No one has a right to tell anyone how to mourn someone, be they a dead celebrity or a deceased member of your own family. If you're struggling to see how nasty her words were, try taking exactly what Camilla Long said about David Bowie and apply it to a dead member of your family. For example, and I quote, I see you're crying or in tears over your recently deceased grandma. Fuck you! You aren't ten years old, you're an adult. Man the fuck up and say something interesting about your grandma. And don't you dare talk about her knitting, because that is fucking dull. Ah, why am I so angry? Ah! Twitter has to make a decision at this point. Does it allow Camilla Long to explain herself, or should they pick up the pitchforks, set them on fire, throw them her way, and, uh, yeah, send her comments that are a thousand times more angry than what she originally said in that offending tweet? It's the latter. Of course it is. That's what Twitter always does. Now, let's look at it from everybody's point of view, shall we? Every single person's. I understand that Camilla Long wasn't the only person online who noticed the entire world was publicly and very vocally grieving David Bowie. Ordinary people who weren't celebrities on Twitter, Facebook and other social medias were also noticing the outpouring and suggesting, albeit in a politer way than Camilla did, that the grief may be a little too over the top. Maybe. But... Those people didn't then order the mourners to stop mourning, to buck up their ideas and say something interesting or just grow up. Someone referred to the almost never-ending RIP messages as the Grief Olympics, but if you're being mean, at least use a cricket terminology like it's the ashes of grief because there are like five of those matches in a test series and that each one lasts for about five days each time, so that's even longer than in Olympics and it looks like they're all fighting over cremated Australian midget. Someone please explain it to me. Actually, don't. I will fall asleep. Personally, I did not observe people racing to social media to see who could post their condolences first. Do you know why? Because I logged off of all social networks as soon as I heard that David Bowie had died. Unlike Camilla Long, I guessed way in advance that people would be crying all day long. It might turn into a little bit of a depressing thing to watch. It might become a little bit irritating, especially because, like her, I have no soul or empathy towards others. I'm joking, of course. I avoided places like Twitter that day, which in hindsight is clearly something that Camilla Long should have done too. But you live and you learn. Or in Camilla's case, they die and you learn? Well, I hope she learned something from this anyway. Back to Camilla's detractors. Her troll-like statement resulted in a lot of abuse. She really, really annoyed the whole of Twitter. All the big boys and girls, the influential popular tweeters were having their say, which is good on one hand because these people are generally quite clever and funny, so at least you'll read insults, comments and conversation about Camilla Long that aren't just the words CUNT in capital letters over and over again, increasingly getting more angry. However, the more exposure someone like Camilla gets via these big-name commentators talking about her, the more chances you have influential tweeters' followers throwing their anger into the mix and they're less funny and less clever and more likely to use the word cunt in capital letters over and over again more angrily. 
What I'm trying to say here is whilst I would never defend Camilla Long's stupid tweets, neither can you defend the majority of anger that she was sent. We're talking thousands of reactionary twats responding to one single reactionary twat who sent one solitary reactionary tweet. Camilla orders people to grow up, but what really happens in these situations is anyone who's online throws their toys out of the pram and my irony meter breaks yet again and these fuckers are expensive. There's no doubt that observing this car crash, or in my case, driving slowly past a wreckage a few hours after the crash, because I didn't see it live, is a mixture of entertainment, because some people are funny, and shock tactics, because some people are playing nasty, to the point where you worry to look away in case you miss some crucial anger or a funny barb. However, based on one solitary tweet, Camilla Long went from someone most of us have never heard of to basically a pound shop Katie Hopkins. I say one solitary tweet. Whenever someone aggravates Twitter... In this way, a strange and, I think, incredibly creepy practice happens. People spend the entire day going through a person's tweets, their whole history of their tweets, to find posts that can blacken that person's name further. In many cases, it's to show that that person, who's offended everyone, is a hypocrite. In Camilla Long's case, she certainly is, because some hypocritical tweets were found. But, this lady has tweeted 18,000 times over a period of about 7 to 8 years. I'll repeat that, 18,000 times over eight years. That's a long period of time and a lot of tweets. And out of all those tweets, you're bound to find one or two in her collection, as it were, that will be contradictory to her current stance in 2016. In fact, if you do that to any tweeter, you're bound to find contradictory tweets to what they're saying in the current day. In her case, her detractors found, are you sitting down for this, a handful of hypocritical tweets out of 18,000 posts. It almost seems like a complete waste of effort, doesn't it? Wrong! Remember, Twitter is full of reactionary twats, so if they are presented with just one tweet from someone like Camilla Long that has the words RIP in them, just imagine how mad they'd be if three tweets like that existed in her past, and indeed they did. Fellas, saddle up them horses, because we got ourselves a bandwagon. Yee-haw! And so the onslaught of hatred directed towards her intensified. People screenshotted her saying, rest in peace to David Frost from a few years ago. Rest in peace, Joan Rivers. Rest in peace, Michael Winner. And so on and so on. Here's one from 2009. I'll repeat that. 2009, responding to Michael Jackson's death. And I quote, listening to Earth Song, dot, 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 weeping. 2009. That is a shit ton of sifting, guys. Did I mention it was a little bit creepy earlier? Can I stick to that opinion? Is that alright? I am slightly biased here because I have seen this technique firsthand as it's happened to me after I dared to say out loud on Twitter that, quote, Twitter's a bit angry. Have you ever noticed that? Twitter's a little bit angry. And it's a little bit mean, isn't it? You mean towards each other, you mean towards strangers. Why is that? And have you noticed it's dumbed down a fair bit too with all these memes popping up all over the place? And a few days later, after being completely ignored, suddenly Twitter responded to my words by, can you guess how? Yep, being very, very angry, very, very mean and bombarding me with rubbish means. And guess what, guys? My irony meter broke again several times and no one's offered to pay for its repairs. It's not on, guys. These things are fucking expensive. Bearing in mind that I once annoyed the whole of Twitter simply for pointing out the bleeding obvious, I shall refrain in this instance from suggesting that many, 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 many people welcome the prospect of joining a bandwagon because it gives them something to talk about. That would be an absurd suggestion. (coughs) Anyway, in her original offending tweet, Camilla Long asked, Say something interesting to her followers and the creepy practice of sifting through her entire back catalogue of tweets resulted in a few dull moments of her own about her hair, commenting about a shampoo that she disliked. If any of her haters are listening, good work, guys. You covered all bases there. I'm proud of you. Another tweet was, and I quote, Why does dog food look so irresistible? Which I must admit did bring a smile to my face, but all that creepy effort for a smirk, it barely seems worth it, no? A very, very popular and very influential tweeter decided to list all of posh lady Camilla Long's privileges in life so the haters could use that too to judge her. Wikipedia said that she is descended from aristocracy and she was uh, educated at Oxford. How dare she? 
Now, I'm not a fan of posh people myself, mainly because I am not one of those people. Also, I'm very poor. Also, I'm a bit of a lefty. Also, I hate the Conservatives, who the majority of them are posh. Um, But to use someone's background, stuff that often she couldn't control, such as being born into wealth, is a low move by anyone's standards. And it's so very, very annoying too, because at this stage, some of you might be convinced that it makes me sound like I'm defending a woman with repulsive views. I'm not. I'm just pointing out that everybody... Everybody, her and her detractors, are just as bad as each other. They all deserve each other. But to the influential and popular tweeter's credit, the same person did also write a very funny comment about her too. There's a huge David Bowie street party in Brixton. Camilla Long is on her way down to tell them to turn the music down and at your age. It's a shame he couldn't leave it at that. He had to just dig up more dirt. Responding to Camilla Long's original demand, which was, Grow up! someone else wrote if being an adult means you have to be dead inside then i'm not interested guys can we just have that kind of commentary rather than cunt in capital letters you know but like i said earlier on the whole this was thousands of reactionary twats responding to one single reactionary twat no one's ever going to be the winner here however both parties will be convinced that they have won and that ladies and gentlemen is social media outrage in a nutshell by the way, everything I've talked about so far was based on what I saw during a 20-minute food break at work. That's 20 minutes, a mere less than half an hour. Imagine just how loud the shouting got if you were observing the entire day's outrage. Cool, you'd have to have a lie down, wouldn't you? If you've enjoyed my analysis of this latest Twitter shitstorm, as a called perhaps you'll listen to my other podcast that launches very very soon as in before the end of january it's called the anti-social media podcast and it covers the many many non-stop online outrages bandwagons shitstorms trial by social media trolling stalking which i have been subjected to which is even creepier than sifting through one's entire output of tweets beat this guys not only was i stalked but i was stalked on christmas day And this resulted in me finding out a hell of a lot about one particular troll who was the guy stalking me. It's a very interesting and, of course, very creepy story that you, and maybe just the police, would like to hear. Plus, we're going to be looking at how a large portion of the media is unable to understand exactly what trolling is, and therefore misreports it at almost every single turn. Thus, keeping the focus of people who actually suffer abuse and require help. Plus, it means the real trolls keep going undetected and unpunished. Plus, we will talk to people targeted by online abusers. Not Camilla Long, though, don't worry. And we will even talk about the most depressing form of online activity, which is when women get berated, harassed, receive rape or death threats, or have their addresses revealed online. And luckily we hear some great stories about how a lot of these women are fighting back against the trolls. Some really nice, sort of heartwarming stories here. Uh, Yes, it's a heavy subject matter at times, but I will try very hard to put loads and loads of jokes in each episode so that we don't come away at the end of each episode wanting to slit our own wrists. I promise, I promise. That's the anti-social media podcast available on its host site, which is spreaker.com forward slash anti-social media. Or you can uh, subscribe via iTunes as well. They should be up on both places by now. Um, The teaser episode is up for you to subscribe to and then you'll automatically get the first episode sent to your device. Listen to it. If you don't like it, unsubscribe. If you do like it, just keep listening. That's the end of that. Thank you for listening to that plug. Now, I am aware on this comedy podcast uh, there haven't been a great deal of jokes in the last five minutes. So what I'm going to do is hand over to other people who have observed this uh, latest Twitter and online shitstorm. Uh, Let's go to Francis Foster, who's a comedian. He's known as Failing Human on Twitter, and he said the following thing. I've just logged on to see some people are getting upset, other people mourning the death of David Bowie. But can we please just chill out and remember that none of the condolences are as fake or as manufactured as David Cameron's? Spot on. Now, I've said it before, some abuse online is okay. Okay, I'm aware that some people will be screaming hypocrite at their computer now, but hear me out, okay? It's so rare for a target to have earned abusive comments online but in the case of katie hopkins Piers morgan rupert murdoch and our prime minister they all thoroughly deserve it and not just for posting one solitary tweet that was offensive these people have actually earned your hatred through um careers decades of being cunts and i mean that in capital letters okay whenever david cameron posts any tweet i never read the content of that tweet i do go to every tweet though and look straight away at all the comments because it's an absolute joy to see so many people in so many different ways call him a pig fucker 
or words to that effect. Uh, there's never any other reply. It makes me so proud to be British that we can tell him this from now until well after he's been Prime Minister. I always chip in with pig nonce myself, but uh, each to their own. Guys, did you know that David Cameron's favourite David Bowie track is Aston Villa? Who knew? Anyway, Twitter got a second chance to mourn correctly in the Camilla Long proper way, as did Camilla Long, <laughs> when it was announced that actor Alan Rickman had died a few days after David Bowie, also of cancer and also at the age of 69. I immediately announced that I deleted Alan Rickman from my phone. It's hands-free. <clears throat> And then about one billion people pointed out that David Bowie died at the age of 69 from cancer, Alan Rickman died at the age of 69 from cancer, and Donald Trump is 69 and still alive. Oh, God, why are you such a bastard? Hilarious, guys. Artist and comedian James Mason commented that the internet is beginning to become like going round your nans and the conversation consisting solely of a list of people who are now dead. Oh, old Ted, he's gone now, he popped his clogs, the poor boy. Gladys, she's gone too, uh, June as well. David Bowie, I only saw him down the supermarket the other day, he's buying milk. Alan Rickman, oh, poor lad, he's gone as well, and so on and so on. Uh, comedian Lenny Sherman, who just happens to be the most cockney man in the world, gently mocked people leaving condolences online by saying the following thing. <clears throat> My cousins, next door neighbours, brother-in-laws, best mates, window cleaners, uncle, sisters, boyfriend, nephews, geography teacher used to do clay pigeon shooting with Alan Rickman. He was a great man. I'll miss him dearly. Rest in peace. That is how it's supposed to be done, Camilla Long. That's how it's supposed to be done. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for listening to that rant. Um, I am now going to hand you over to the last section for the best of Twitter. Uh, from the worst of Twitter, guys, to the best of Twitter. What a link. Uh, we're going to have our last um, section from uh, the guys behind all the satirical accounts. This one is UKIP Weather. And keep listening because you'll be able to hear full details about the accounts that we featured, plus the authors behind all of the jokes in this account. So you can follow the um, satirical accounts themselves and the authors as well, if you wish. Here we go. Extreme weather warning. Tonight, for the first time, just about half past ten, for the first time in history, gonna start raining men. High winds at a garden centre in Kent after two men were spotted heading toward the plants without stopping to look at ride-on lawnmowers. Temperatures will plummet as a result of a man in Cumbria enthusiastically browsing through a home furnishing catalogue. The clouds that formed as two men exchanged glances in a public toilet will clear following a discussion about Man United's defensive frailties. A period of calm as a group of women go shopping for shoes. However, storm clouds will form when one of them suggests going to Millet's. The dense fog affecting much of the UK will begin to clear when an office manager makes a bawdy joke at the expense of a female colleague. The sun makes a brief appearance after John Barrowman stubs his toe on the corner of a wardrobe. Fifty Shades, Tory comedians, British First and UKIP Weather Jokes written by Jason Spacey, at Jason underscore Spacey, and at News Thump. Corbin jokes written by Jason Spacey, Jason Sinclair, at JLSINC, and Ken Shabby, at Mr. Ken Shabby. All jokes performed by Professor Jack Darcy, that's at Darcy Comedy, or DarcyComedy.com, or friend Jack Darcy on Facebook, or accost me in the street and say hi. I do bite. Warning, you are now the We're in the admin zone because we've almost reached the end of the show, but before we go, the important news, just to remind you, the Austerity Pleasure's next live stand-up gig is in Brighton on Friday, 5th of February, uh, at 8 o'clock at the Carolina Brunswick Pub, our regular haunt, and tickets are only £3 in advance. If you go to the Austerity Pleasure's Facebook page, you can find out event information, podcast information, the whole works. Remember the Austerity Pleasures YouTube account uh, as well, which has uh, not seen before highlights from uh, Nathan Wilcock. Got the full set 
of Don Biswell's headlining a few months ago. And we've got um, the full set from Magnus Turner MP as well. A great gig. It's well worth watching. Remember, Nathan is performing at Leicester Comedy Festival in February. Uh, his uh, new live show. Find him on Facebook. Don Biswell and Ashley Hayden are also on Twitter. I'd like to thank the contributions from Francis Foster, James Mason and Lenny Sherman. My name is Ben Morgan, the host. You can find me on Twitter at Ben underscore Morgan underscore, which is the catchiest of all Twitter handles I think you'll find. Uh, remember to email Magnus Turner any questions for future episodes, uh, which is the mtmp at gmail.com. I'll repeat that, the mtmp at gmail.com. And uh, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for putting up with the slightly sporadic sounding microphone, shall we say. Uh, some of it's been high quality. The rest has been less high quality. However, uh, there has been, this is a great link, high quality of comedy all the way through the show. Uh, thank you once again to all of the Twitter accounts uh, who contributed. You are now leaving the admin zone. I guess I'll see you in uh, in about four weeks. My name's Ben Morgan. Bye-bye.